Investors Chronicle. Hello and welcome back to the 10th podcast in Investors Chronicle's Investing Explained podcast series. It's now a little over three weeks until the tax year end on the 5th of April, so if you haven't invested your ISA yet, you should be thinking about it now. For those who aren't familiar with ISAs, it stands for Individual Savings Accounts, and it's effectively an account that you can put money into and grow that money free of tax. The current ISA allowance is £20,000 per year and will remain at £20,000 for the next tax year for the sixth year in a row. There have been quite a few add-ons to ISAs over the years, such as innovative finance ISAs and lifetime ISAs, but the core options are picking between a cash ISA and a stocks and shares ISA. If you have a lifetime ISA, you can pick between investing the money or putting it in cash. Stocks and shares ISAs have generally delivered significantly superior long-term returns, but with Russia's invasion of Ukraine against a backdrop of high inflation and continued worries about the valuations of tech stocks, global markets are looking pretty fragile. To counter that, for people investing over the long term, history suggests that the stock market is still the best place for ISA money. To help us make sense of where we should invest, I'm delighted to be joined by George Baer, Assistant Portfolio Manager at IG, and Michelle Pereira, Chief Investment Officer at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Now, George, we'll start with you. According to government statistics, more money goes into cash ISAs every year than stocks and shares ISAs. Mm-hmm. When do you think a cash ISA is suitable? Um, I think there are some situations where cash ISAs are suitable. And it, I think you mentioned it in your introduction there. So using a, a cash lifetime ISA to sort of save for a home deposit is something for first time buyer is something that I've personally used myself. Um, so for a bit of context around it, so the way that it works is you can put in £4,000 per year and the government will top that up with 25%. So you get a bonus each year. So essentially you'll be getting a return of £1,000 if you max it out, which as a guaranteed rate of return is pretty good. One thing to sort of be aware of with that scheme though is the maximum property price you can purchase is £450 and the government hasn't actually adjusted that since it started. So if property prices continue to grow as they have been over the last couple of years, you could essentially be priced out of the market um, and I guess outside of just the, the cash lifetime ISAs if you're using just a plain cash cash ISA sometimes it could be useful if you've got a very short time horizon or you could use sort of an easy access cash ISA perhaps to build up uh, an emergency savings pot for example but I'm personally not the the, the biggest fan of, of using uh, most cash ISA products at the moment because of the current rates of inflation um, and I've done some research on it and that the best rate that you can get at the moment is 0.82% in one of the um, accounts that doesn't have any withdrawals. Um, so and you, to actually access that, you need to have deposited 50,000 pounds, which obviously isn't possible um, unless you've deposited over multiple tax years. Um, so the actual rate you'll be getting is 0.77%. And the current rates of inflation, uh, the latest reading we got was it's just over 5%. So effectively, on a net basis, you'll be losing money if you invest in, in a cash ISA, just, just the way it is at the moment. Yeah, and, and the government is expecting inflation to rise. I saw a note saying that £10,000 saved into the average cash ISA today could be worth 9600 this time next year based on the latest Bank of England forecasts for interest rates and inflation, assuming a cash, a cash ISA rate of 1%. Um, of course, there's there's no there's no certainty in the stock market either. But Michelle, if we could bring you in here, if you're investing, if you're putting money away for the longer term, say at least 
10 years, why do you think the stock market, or do you think the stock market is more suitable and, and, and why? Um, well, I mean, I guess um, ISAs are not uh, different from any other form of portfolio in terms of their suitability to different clients. It really depends on what uh, your requirements are as an investor. Um, and so I think we have to be, uh, it, it, we can't generalize to absolutely everybody because it depends how old you are, what your family status is, what kind of income requirements you might have, etc. cetera. Uh, but assuming that you have a broad uh, portfolio with many other types of investments, when would you specifically uh, be looking for uh, stocks and ISA, uh, stocks and shares ISA. Uh, well, I think that if you want to keep that investment for the long term and you want to stick with it and close your eyes and uh, don't even look at it for the next 20 years or something, then it makes 100% sense to have um, uh, equities in there. Uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, Mary, the long-term return of equities is much better. In fact, in the whole of the 19th and the 20th century, the average return was 8% per year. So if you have a 200-year time horizon, uh, then it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm just kidding. Even if you have a 10-year time horizon, equities make more sense than anything else. Yeah. Um well, who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll. If technology advances enough, we will have two hundred year time horizons. Um, but we talked about inflation, George, um, and its impact on cash ices. But what, what? I mean, inflation impacts the stock market too. In what way? In what? In what way does inflation impact stocks and shares? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest headaches for investors, particularly equity investors, at the moment is looking at how central banks will sort of weigh the prospect of higher inflation. So, you know, we've seen soaring energy prices uh, over the last couple of months and they need to weigh that up with the impact that the, that the conflict that we've seen in Ukraine will have on economic growth. So if we go back before the, the invasion, you know, equity markets were sort of already struggling with the fact that, you know, um, they're going to be pr the prospect of multiple rate hikes um, from the Fed this year. So it was around seven to eight that was, that was estimated before the, before the uh, invasion. Now, they're still set to rise, um, increase interest rates by 0.25% um, in March in the next meeting. But we're not really sure what the future will hold because of the conflict. Um, if we do see a significant number of interest rate hikes to try and combat rising inflation, it's likely that we'll probably see a continue of sort of rotation into more value stocks. So the likes of consumer staples and financials um, at the expense of more growth stocks, because these stocks tend to perform better in, in, in environments where interest rates are rising. And um, Michelle, we'll bring you in again. How the Russian sanctions uh, all over the news at the minute, the UK and the US have banned oil and gas imports. Um, a number of Russian banks have been removed from the SWIFT payment system. How are these sanctions, what are the longer term impacts, possible impacts of sanctions and what should investors be thinking about in, in this context? 
Uh, well, the impact on sanctions uh, is uh, maybe a long-term impact, but it's a very, very short-term impact right now through a massive increase in commodities prices. Uh, Russia is a, is a huge exporter of oil, gas, and uh, industrial metals, uh, as well as together with Ukraine of wheat and other agricultural commodities. And all of these commodities have literally gone through the roof recently. Uh, so depending on how long sanctions uh, continue on Russia, uh, we will have very high commodities prices and there are uh, inputs to inflation in general and uh, they could um, have a significant impact on not just on consumers but on investors. Um, the problem with inflation is uh, it, it does have, as George was saying, a, a, a huge impact in terms of what the central banks are going to do, but it's also, it also has an impact on the specific sectors. Uh, right now, the energy and material sectors are doing well because obviously they're benefiting from the increases in commodities, uh, but um, uh, there are very few other sectors that benefit from that at all. Uh, more traditionally, when inflation rises and interest rates rise, uh, you know, financials tend to do well, industrials tend to do well, uh, whereas uh, some of the growth stocks like technology and healthcare tend to do less well. But um, this may be a very different cycle because of the, the huge importance of commodities here. It may be that uh, for the time being, as long as commodities are rising uh, very fast, uh, it's only those sectors that are directly benefiting from the increase in commodities prices that may actually do best. Yeah. So are you, um, are you altering portfolios that can accord accordingly? How, have, it, has this affected your um, asset allocation and stock selection? Um, one of the things that uh, we have been doing for quite some time has been moving uh, away from uh, a, a, a reliance on growth sectors and more towards a balance of growth and value sectors. Uh, and uh, for instance, at the beginning of this year, we invested a lot more in the FTSE 100, which was has a significant um, allocation to energy and materials. Uh, I think the biggest impact of this war and the sanctions is going to be on Europe, on the Eurozone. And this is one area where we have reduced allocation and moved our allocation to the US, which is likely to be more defensive uh, because they don't have to import as much uh, Russian uh, energy. That's interesting because the the US is also thought of as a highly rated market in terms of valuations. Um, when you say allocated more to the US, is that generally the US or is that um, away from the the tech sector more? Well, actually, um, the broad uh, stock market index in the US, you're right, the US is more highly rated than the rest of the world. But the reason is because uh, traditionally they have uh, uh, had 
better returns on equity, uh, returns on assets, uh, margins, and more stability in providing returns, which is why investors have given them a premium and there shouldn't really be a significant difference now compared to the past. Thank you. And George, what um, what portfolio changes have you been making at IG recently? Uh, so in our last rebalance, we rebalanced back in um, December, um, and it's quite similar, really. Um, we take a broad approach. We invest uh, purely using um, index ETFs. So we tweak with the allocations in terms of uh, geographies that we invest in. And, and in, the, in the previous rebalance, we've sort of reduced some of our US equities exposure and Likewise, we've, we've put it into the uh, to FTSE uh, 100 um, as well. So that's sort of the broad changes. I expect that we're going to be making more changes um, within this month to sort of tweak that um, even more, probably taking away from European um, assets as well, just because, as has been mentioned, you know, the European uh, Europe is uh, is heavily reliant on, on, on Russian oil. And I think the US only imports around 8% um, of their oil from from Russia. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of the, the changes that we've made so far. But I expect we'll be take, making more changes uh, along the similar similar themes that we've we've spoken about uh, this month as well. Yeah, I know th- this is a really difficult question, um, Michelle. But so we, you say you're allocating more to more value areas, but we have seen a, a rotation start. The Nasdaq's down twenty percent year to date. Do you have any guidance on how people can think about when um, when the valuations become attractive again in tech sectors? Well, I think you shouldn't generalize about the tech sector overall because some of the companies are actually quite reasonably priced. I mean, Companies like Amazon and Google are actually not massively expensive these days. Uh, On the other hand, some of the uh, smaller shares that were more uh, uh, COVID beneficiaries, um, which were trading at 10 times sales, have fallen massively, but they're probably still trading at five times sales, which makes them ridiculously expensive all the same. So uh, when you talk about tech, there is a huge tail. Um, Some of the larger tech companies may start to become very good value soon, uh, but for the market to realize that, there has to be at least uh, some feedback from uh, the Fed, in terms of how they're planning to raise interest rates in during the course of this year so that the markets can actually uh, discount the future earnings of tech companies at the appropriate level. I think there's a lot of uncertainty here and that's why people are not willing to buy long duration shares like tech immediately. They just want to wait a little bit to understand what the Fed's going to do. Yeah, that sounds very sensible. And George, so, so most people will be investing um, as much as they can into their ISA. Stock markets are, and, and that could be, you know, the large majority of your savings alongside your pension. Um, stock markets can be very volatile. Do you have any guidance on how investors can protect themselves from market downturns? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously it's, no one can predict when a market correction uh, is going to happen. But 
it's just important for your portfolio to be uh, positioned in a way to sort of protect from this when it does happen. And for me, there's sort of three key ways that you you might be able to do this. So firstly, it's just knowing, we've spoke about this already, but knowing that you're invested sort of for the long term. So over the last 20 years, as, as we've spoken about, uh, global equities have returned around 8%. Um, and that's all while whilst they've been navigated through a range of high risk events. So the likes of the great financial crisis, Brexit, US-China trade war, and obviously the, the COVID pandemic as well. And then there's also been some recent analysis done by uh, First Trust. And what they found is that over the last 33 events where uh, US stocks dropped by 10%, the average decline was around 18.5%. But that was then followed by a 24.9% rise over the next 12 months. So it just kind of shows that staying invested, um, you'll be able to see your investments sort of more than recover potentially after a, after a correction. Uh, second point for me would be sort of linked to the first one, but sort of removing the, the emotion from it. Um, so you, you, obviously, you know, there's going to be corrections and it's important not to act sort of irrationally when markets are falling. Um, and know it could be potentially unsettling seeing the value of your portfolio drop, but holding your nerve might be sort of the best way to sort of protect your wealth um, in the future. And then finally, it would just be around diversification. You know, make sure that you're invested in a range of asset classes um, and regions as well, which can obviously help limit um, losses or offset losses um, in periods of volatility. And really, over the last couple of years, we've seen US stocks, you know, perform extremely well, outperform most other regions. And um, so it could have been maybe uh, maybe um, tempting to allocate more of your portfolio or potentially a take the stream invest all of your portfolio in the S&P 500, for example. But if you look at since the start of the year, the FTSE's outperformed the S&P by about 6.2%. And also gold has climbed by about 12.3% since the start of the year. So that kind of shows the value of uh, diversifying across different regions and uh, asset classes as well. Yeah, definitely. D do you have any guidance um, if you were a long-term investor on what split you might have across asset classes. So how much might be in equities, how much might be in fixed income or gold? Uh, I'll, I'll answer that. So it kind of depend, really depends on your the individual's attitude to risk, really. So, you know, how much risk is someone willing to take on? And also, do they have the capacity to take on that risk as well? Um, for me, a sensible, I'll, I'll take you through what our most aggressive portfolio is positioned like at the moment. So at the moment, we've got around 85% allocated to equities. Um, we've got around 10% uh, allocated to uh, fixed income and around 5% um, in alternatives. And obviously within that, you've then got to make sure that you, you're invested across different regions as well. So for example, in equities, we've got allocations to the UK market, US market, Europe, emerging markets and Japan. In alternatives, we've got a, a couple of different investments. We've got gold and also commercial property um, as well. But overall, it really depends on um, on your attitude to risk. Obviously, if you want to take on more risk, traditionally, you just invest more in equities as, at the expense of, of fixed income. Yeah, that sounds sensible. Michelle, can I ask you the same question? What for your um, growth strategies? What what does asset allocation look like? Um, well, um... I think that we are overweight equities, i.e. if a client normally would have 80% in equities, that client would probably have something like 85 right now. Uh, I mean, obviously it is reasonably tactical given what has been happening recently to the markets, uh, but also 
um, you know, if you look at the market on a longer term basis over the next uh, two to three years, you can actually see how uh, some of the current volatility we're seeing uh, should be behind us and therefore should give uh, pretty good opportunities. So we would be overweight equities. We would have gold as well as tips, i.e. US inflation linked uh, securities in the portfolio as a defensive mechanism uh, in the, um, you know, with, with this inflationary environment. Uh, but we're not terribly keen on government bonds um, and therefore there would be very little in the way of gilts or other types of government bonds in there. And how do you buy the gold and the tips? Is that via ETFs or? ETFs, yeah. They're so much easier than uh, any other way to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's listed. You can trade them uh, immediately. Um, very easy to trade. Lots of liquidity as well. Yeah. Um, and on the on the tips, do you go for short dated ones? Well, that's a matter of opinion as to where you think inflation is likely to rise the most. I think we've gone for inflation up to five years, which we thought is where you would have the biggest bumps in inflation, because after all, you're buying future inflation. You're buying an increase in inflation in the future. So, um, uh, yes, we've gone for the shorter end of the curve, because I think when you look at inflation for the following five years, uh, the expectation is it's going to be back to normal at some point. Yeah. And George, you mentioned earlier the outperformance of the UK. It's been a, a rare reprieve for UK stocks, although people have been talking about how undervalued the UK is for a while. How, among equity allocation, how much do you think might be sensible for someone based in the UK to have allocated to the UK? Uh, so at the moment, if we look at our sort of portfolios, we've got around, within the equity sleeve of our portfolios, we've got around um, 12% of our, in our aggressive portfolio allocated to to, uh, to UK equities. Um, traditionally, it's quite, um, if someone's in, based in the UK, there is quite a lot of um, home bias traditionally. And we've actually seen that um, in, in terms of what our clients have actually been invested in on their self-directed trading accounts over the last couple of years, obviously, US equities have been extremely popular. But then at the start of this year, it's actually switched on its head. So around as of last month, 54% of our clients' trades have been on UK equities um, instead of in, in 12 months ago, it was actually 42%. So we've seen that shift happen already. Um, as, I, as I mentioned before, I think in our next rebalance this month, we are going to allocate a bit a bit more to uh, to UK equities, but around, currently it's around 12% for us. Okay, so significantly more than the global stock market, but still still a small proportion. That's interesting. You mentioned your um, people with the direct accounts. What what type of things do IG customers invest in most for their ISAs? Is it ETFs or is it individual stocks or investment trusts? So over, if we look at last year, um, so in 2021, um, it's definitely the most popular things for our clients specifically are individual company stocks and ETFs, not so much um, investments, trusts. Uh, so in 2021, as I mentioned, you know, we've seen 
US stocks have continued to rise in popularity. And if we look at the split between UK and US equities in 2021, 62% of trades were on US equities, whereas 38% were on UK equities for our, for our UK investors. And then in sort of some of the major themes that we saw within that is that in terms of sectors, we saw huge interest in in the likes of uh, electric vehicle stocks. Um, you know, that went beyond just Tesla. So four stocks in the top 20 in terms of the number of trades on, on ISA accounts were actually electric vehicle stocks. And that's because of their sort of high growth potential and also their sort of ESG friendly characteristics. And we saw a lot of new uh, IPOs within that space as well last year. So the two most notable ones were Rivian and Lucid. Um, so Rivian was actually the largest IPO in 2021 um, and was the biggest firm to uh, to IPO in the US since uh, since Facebook. And that's all whilst it was being a zero revenue company. So you can sort of see the hype that's attached to some of these stocks. And then outside of the uh, outside of sort of electric vehicles, we also saw COVID-19, as you'd, you'd expect, driving demand in um, healthcare, but also airlines as well. And global aviation was one of the biggest impacted by um, government restrictions, you know, that we restricted international travel to sort of curb the, the spread of the virus. Um, and actually, we saw a lot of our clients sort of take up an interest in 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 some of these airlines to try and sort of get a sort of undervalued stock, essentially. And actually, the most most popular stock last year was um, International Consolidated Airlines Group, which is the parent company that owns British Airways. And you've also got the likes of EasyJet, TUI, and also Rolls-Royce, who actually generate some of their revenue by the um, by the number of hours that their engines fly. And they also ranked within the top 20 equities last year for ISA accounts as well amongst our clients. That's very interesting. So you've got a got a range there from the, the sort of the new economy and the older economy. Um, Michelle, we've talked about volatility in markets. If if someone was investing um, their ISA allowance, say for the next tax year, would you do you think it might be better to invest in one go or to drip into the market over several months? Um, well, um, I certainly would look not just at this year, but at every year and when you invest. I mean, there are m many different strategies. You could invest at the beginning of the period every year. You could invest um, try to time the markets when there's a correction like the one we're seeing right now or you could invest randomly in order to uh, diversify the risk of timing it differently um, i think my preference would probably be to try and understand a little bit what's happening in the markets and if you have had a correction it certainly gives you a much better opportunity uh, because at least the future is likely to be, uh, you know, a little bit better than before the correction. Um, so uh, right now we have seen a significant correction in, in a variety of different markets, not in all of them, obviously, uh, but um, it probably means there's a good opportunity to invest as soon as possible. Yeah. And another area of investing that's very topical at the moment is ESG, so investing with environmental, social and governance factors in mind. Um, George, do you, how, do you see much appetite at IG for ESG investing and, and what are people's priorities in the ESG yeah. field? 
I think what we've seen amongst our client base is obviously there's certainly been growth uh, in terms of the uh, the actual number of people that have invested in, in ESG products, but we haven't seen the, the amount of growth that um, has been reported sort of across the industry. Um, we have done a range of things within our platform to try and encourage ESG investing and trying to make it easy for, for clients to actually do it. So for example, one of the things we've done is we've created a Within, the, within our platform, we've got a watch list called ESG Investing, essentially. Um, we've launched that at the start of this year, um, and we've got a range of ESG ETFs and ESG-friendly companies that they can invest in. Um, and we have had some feedback on that, and clients are sort of uh, happy with that. Um, but we haven't seen the sort of growth that, um, that's been reported across the industry. Um, but hopefully things like implementing those sort of ESG watch lists um, would sort of encourage more demand. For that it's it's interesting i think attitudes towards it are are changing over the the tragedy going on in ukraine you've got i mean we're clearly not not ready to move away from fossil fuels and also there's you know defense stocks you could see being reclassified having been very um commonly not allowed excluded from these funds michelle how do you think about esg factors at canaccord um, we have a big ESG um, uh, footprint, for lack of a better word. Uh, we have many clients who uh, want a specifically tailored ESG portfolio, i.e. nothing but ESG investment. And as long as clients are willing to accept the fact that, by definition, ESG tends to be more style-specific, than a diversified portfolio and therefore it's likely to be a bit more volatile we anticipate that in the long run these will give uh, better returns uh, the types of ideas we've had have been thematic investments um, not just in the e part of esg but also in the s for instance so things like the nutrition uh, robotics uh, cybersecurity, um, uh, oncology, a variety of different types of investment uh, themes that uh, will perform well in the long run, but that obviously can be extremely volatile in the short run. Um, and as to your comment on uh, the fact that we're not ready to give up fossil fuels, um, it's interesting because, yes, at the very beginning of the increase in uh, energy prices, we have seen how ESG environmental stocks have done poorly. But recently, they have started recovering. And that reminds me that 10 years ago, for instance, uh, the um, renewable stocks were very much correlated with energy prices. Uh, because at the end of the day, if the oil price uh, rises significantly, then it should be a tailwind, not a headwind for the uh, renewable energy sources. Yeah, that's true. And you'd also think that um, energy security is going to be a higher um, priority for governments and that might encourage more investment into the renewable space. Most definitely, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry, but that's actually all we've got time for. George, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. That was really interesting. A great tour of markets and where value is and where people might want to invest that ISA this year. Thank you.